Good morning. Okay, a few of you. <laughs> Good morning this morning. There you go. Got your attention. What a, an interesting time coming together to worship, even setting up sound. Uh, yesterday, we had a computer, the hard drive crashed, and with our pro presenter going out, uh, but we can still sing and meet the Lord. And I'm excited here, you know, uh, to open up God's Word this morning and, uh, and be with you guys. Just a few things kind of as we get going. It has been a joy. It was a joy having Baron here last week. Um, it was a joy having Quentin Whitford from Redemption in Calgary South come and preach, and, and Zach Ferguson earlier before that. And I uh, really want us to actually see people up here in this pulpit growing as preachers giving opportunity. But it, it's a blessing now. I'll be preaching consecutively now for the next four uh, sermons in a row. We'll be in First Timothy, then we get to Palm Sunday, Good Friday, Easter Sunday. So uh, that's just kind of what we'll be going. Before getting going, though, is anyone here who doesn't have a Bible and would like a, a Bible to follow along? Does anyone, just put your hand up if there's anyone. Okay, I, oh, here we go, we got one. Can I get, can I get another one? <laughs> but, uh, so we're going to be, we're back in First Timothy here this morning. We're going to be in chapter 5, if you want to turn there with me. We'll be reading that in just a moment, First Timothy chapter 5. Looking at verses 1 to 8. And again, uh, as we're kind of in Timothy, out of Timothy, in Timothy, out of Timothy, if you haven't been with us, the book of 1 Timothy is Paul's letter to Timothy. Uh, Timothy was a young leader in the church, and he was called to go to Ephesus. There was a mature, mature, as in length of years, church in Ephesus. There were a lot of problems. There were false teachers there were people in leadership who shouldn't be there. They were kind of losing track of what the main thing was. So Paul writes this letter to Timothy in the first chapter. And he gives clarity. What should you be about? Be about the gospel. This is it. Like unashamedly, this is where you need to go, Timothy. And in chapter 2, uh, Paul started talking about uh, what you should be about in the church. It should be about prayer. Who should the leaders be? It's about character. How do you determine that? Chapter 4, we looked at the past number of, of Sundays. We talked about growing in the faith, godliness. Like, pursue the Lord. If you are in Christ, you know, pursue Him. Train yourself for godliness. And as you do that, be an example to others. Which leads us here to, to chapter 5. Now Paul goes to talking about relationships in the church. First two verses, kind of like with everyone. And then narrowly starts talking about relationships in particular to do with widows in the church. And so just for anyone here, if you have any relationship in the church, this is a message for you. And if you don't, I pray we can introduce you to someone. You can get to know someone. But the reality is our life is made up of many relationships as a church, as a body gathers with many relationships. So I think this is an important word for us to hear this morning. And even if you're like, well, I'm not sold, relationships are maybe that important. I just want to remind you, this is the very word of God. And so as we're gathering together, it's like, hey, I don't want to just tell you my opinion. I also want to tell you, you know, some suggestions. We're like, as we're opening up, we're praying that God would speak to us through His Word to us this morning. 
And I pray that he would. So before even reading the scripture, I would just like to seek the Lord again in prayer. Oh God, uh, thank you for a chance to sing songs to you together. Uh, Lord, thank you for the ability of a place to meet, for heat, for lights, things we all take for granted until it, it doesn't work. God, we are blessed, but as, as we meet, as we have the freedom to open up your scripture here together, I pray that your Holy Spirit would be at work. I pray you speak through me. I pray, Lord, you give us ears to hear what you have to teach each one of us as a church together. Lord, those who, who are here with us who do not know you, who do not know Jesus Christ as Savior, Lord, may they see their need for Jesus. May you give them faith to turn and believe. For those who do, Lord, I pray you would uh, minister to each one of us uh, through your scriptures. Even as we, as we talk about widows, as we talk about relationships, Lord, apply that to each one of our hearts. <coughs> May we not miss what you have to teach us here this morning. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. If you want to stand with me, we're going to read 1 Timothy 5, 1-8 together. Do not rebuke an older man, but encourage him as you would a father, younger men as brothers, older women as mothers, younger women as sisters in all purity. Honor widows who are truly widows, but if a widow has children or grandchildren, let them first learn to show godliness to their own household and to make some return to their parents, for this is pleasing in the sight of God. She who is truly a widow, left all alone, has set her hope on God and continues in supplications and prayers night and day. But she who is self-indulgent is dead, even while she lives. Command these things as well, so that they may be without reproach. But if anyone does not provide for his relatives, and especially for members of his own household, he has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. May God bless his word to our souls this morning. You can have a seat. If you notice even in the, in the passage, it continues on to actually verse 16, talking about widows. This uh, message this morning, I titled Relationships in the Household of God. It begins the first two verses, kind of relationships broadly, and then narrowly relationships to do with widows. As we think relationships broadly, again looking here at verses 1 to 2, it says, Do not rebuke an older man, but encourage him as you would a father, younger men as brothers, older women as mothers, younger, younger women as sisters, in all purity. Talking about proper ways to treat one another. Maybe this goes without saying, but it does not seem like in the age in which we live, just notice Paul's addressing, telling Timothy, dressed in two genders. I, I just want to point that out. The genders that the people were born with, Paul's like, hey, fathers, mothers, brothers, sisters. And it's like there's a day and age in which, of course, we would not even mention that, not say anything. I just want to point that out. Throughout Scripture, Scripture is very consistent. God's consistent. That He made a male and female, 
And this week called to us to address one another within the church. That's just a side point. But why do I talk about relationships in the household of God? Because that's this kind of a term that Timothy uses within this letter, or Paul to Timothy, talking about the church as a household of God. In 3.15, Paul says, If I delay, you may know how one ought to behave in the household of God. We see this expression used about the church in other places in Ephesians 2.19, Galatians 6.10. And, and what Paul is actually referring to here now is not maybe like the big gathering of the saints, but for when Timothy is meeting with people in a, in a more private setting, if you will. This is how you are to address people and probably address people and maybe if there's sin in their life, maybe if there's something that you're bringing correction to, like this is what it should look like. What does it say? Do not rebuke an older man, but encourage him. Don't rebuke. But it's not like never rebuke. Like Timothy, there was false teachers within the church at Ephesus for sure, Timothy was to rebuke them. Was like, hey, you guys are speaking things that are leading people to destruction, taking people away from the truth of Jesus Christ. He had to rebuke them. But as you're dealing with people within the flock, hey, you don't deal with them so harshly. You need to encourage them. You need to, you need to build them up. We know in Scripture, if anyone is wronged, like within the church body, if you're wronged by someone else, or if you see sin is present in someone else's life, it's not to like gossip about, it's not to whisper about, it's like to go and talk to that person because you love them. And go and to encourage them, to exhort them, uh, to turn. And you go to do it privately, it's not publicly. And I think that's kind of what's being said here in this expression, these first two verses, is that this private encouragement, this private exhortation, whatever is in the person's life. One commentator says this, Timothy and Paul's Jewish roots emphasize the necessity of private as opposed to public rebuke, unless all attempts at private settlement fail. Because even as we go through this chapter in uh, 1 Timothy 5.20, Talking about elders, as for those who persist in sin, rebuke them in the presence of all. So the, the rest may stand in fear. So it's not that that never happens. We never want to go there. But this generally, this is how we should treat people. We should go to them. And I, and I love, interesting, it says, don't rebuke an older man, but encourage him as you would a father. You are to treat an older man with a certain level of respect. And just to highlight that, I don't know if you're aware of this passage in Leviticus 19.32, because I know everyone is just in Leviticus all the time, underlining. But it says here in Leviticus 19.32, You shall stand up before the gray head and honor the face of an old man, and you shall fear your God, I am the Lord. Like, did you know it said that in Scripture? This is God's heart. You should stand and honor uh, that the person, the old man. Someone who is older. It, it, it says in Proverbs 16.31 that a gray hair is a crown of splendor. Did you know it said that in Scripture? I'm, I'm growing my crown. Slowly. Slowly. But that, that's, this is something that's actually very counter-cultural. Is that we're to honor the elderly. Honor old men. Stand before them. It's interesting, like the Bible doesn't say, actually throw all the old people to the ground, it's all about you. Our culture says that. 
God says, no, you need to honor an older man as you would a father. Again, we're like, what's going to shape our actions? Is it going to be our culture? Is it going to be the word of God? And so there's a certain level of honor and respect that Timothy would have, that each of us would have. We go to an older man to talk with him. Not rebuking him, but encouraging him. And then it says, for younger men, they're to treat them as brothers. Younger men as brothers. Like, not to, like, punch them in the arm <laughs> or pick on them. I don't know what your situation was if you had a brother growing up. I did. Uh, I see my sons. <laughs> but what it is as brothers, it's, it's like, go and talk to your brother, like, not having an attitude of I'm better than you. One commentator says, not having no air of a su- superiority. This is how you need to treat this person. Hey, we're, we're peers. I have something I want to say to you in the Lord. But you're my brother. This is, this is what is called for. Older women as mothers. Kindness and, and gentleness. And of course, with that same respect. There's a, a good example of even how Paul does this with women in the church. In Philippians 4, uh, 2 and verse 3. I'll just turn there and read that for you. Philippians 4, 2, and 3, how Paul treated older women as, as mothers with respect. He says, I entreat Judea and I entreat Sinketh to agree in the Lord. These, these two women. Yes, I also, I ask you also, true companion, help these women who have labored side by side with me in the gospel together with Clement and the rest of my fellow workers whose names are in the book of life. I entreat, he's like, I entreat them to agree in the Lord. He doesn't have anything bad or negative to say about them. Even though they had something they weren't getting along about, it's in a very respectful manner, right? In which he deals with it. Treat older women as mothers. Of course, you can, you can take this outside the church and how we treat one another, but man, how much more, what a blessing, do we take this as we deal with one another in the church? And then it says, of course, and younger women as sisters. Younger women as sisters in all purity. In all purity. This has been a theme throughout the, the letter. Purity being highlighted for leaders. Purity being highlighted for Timothy to be an example. And, and treat younger women as sisters. Especially for younger men. We need to hear this. Treat young women as sisters in the Lord. With all purity. This is the call. To honor them. Be sincere with them. John MacArthur says this, Younger women must be confronted with their sin and encouraged to godliness. They must, however, never be led into sin, but treated as beloved spiritual sisters whose purity is the highest consideration. And I think if we were like to give a general thing, like what's Paul saying to these different groups of people within the church, I think we could find that in 1 Peter 5, 5, Peter writing, talking about uh, elders, but he finishes verse 5, he says, Likewise, you who are young, or you who are younger, be subject to the elders. But this part, clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility toward one another. For God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. I think that's one way to say, if we acted toward one another with all humility, we take pride in the picture and humbly went and talked to another, Encourage one another. I see something in your life. I would like to 
I'd like to encourage you to, to seek the Lord in this. I would like to help you. If we did it with humility, we'd do it with uh, healthy respect for one another. Be cordial. Because friends, the family of God is a beautiful thing. Right? How we're like different backgrounds, uh, different places, different experiences coming together. And we could treat one another like this. Now this is honoring to the Lord. So this is what first uh, Paul calls Timothy to do uh, broadly within the church. But then he goes kind of from broadly to specifically. And then the relationship focused on widows. If you look with me at verse 3. I want you to see God's heart for widows. Verse 3, Paul writes, Honor widows who are truly widows. Of course, widows being those who were married and then lost their husband, primarily death, uh, could also be abandonment. But primarily it's that they're married and the husband is no more and the widow is on her own. There's a change actually in tone and focus in the letter. All of a sudden it just narrows down to this one subject from verses 3 to 16. We're just going up to verse 8 uh, today. It seems like even 3 to 8, it's kind of like talking about widows, but more of a broader thing, and then gets down into the details of what that should look like within the church. We'll be looking at that next week, uh, more narrowly. So it says, honor widows, who are truly widows. That term honor uh, can mean give proper recognition. It's more like support. And it's a present imperative. This is something you should do right now. You should honor them. Not like, hey, who are the widows? Okay, yeah, mark them. Like, no, you should support them. You should financially look after them. Like, that's the type of honor that it's speaking of here. And the question maybe is like, well, why this focus? Was there there's a problem in the church? Widows on their own? Commentator Robert Yarbrough says this, thinking about the, the specific time that they lived in, first century, across the Roman world, as in much of the world today, women whose husbands died could find themselves with no means of support, especially if children were not able to be willing to lend a hand in their upkeep. This was a, a social problem of the age that already surfaced in Acts 6, 1-4. It should be recalled that becoming a Christian often resulted in ostracism, in both Jewish and pagan settings, widows who confess Christ as Lord might find no support from their born family members, even if they had any. Right? People are saying, yeah, I want to follow Jesus. And their family is like, we want nothing to do with you. Had only support as a husband. Husband's dead and they're, they're on their own. But I want you to see here as we think, like, why is it said? Why is so many verses given to this? I want you to see God's heart for the widow, first and foremost. I want to just build a case for you, take you through a little bit of Scripture, God's heart for the widow. And the first place I want to take you is Exodus 22, 21 to 24. We're just going to kind of quickly run over a few verses in the Old Testament. And you just, just think, so Exodus 22, this is like not long after uh, Moses received the Ten Commandments on the mountain, on Mount Sinai. And God's like taking these people from Egypt and He's telling them who they should be, what they should be about. That's what He's shaping in some of these laws. And so it says here in Exodus 22, 21 to 24, telling them what, what should they be about. You shall not wrong a sojourner, an immigrant, or oppress him. For you were sojourners in the land of Egypt. You shall not mistreat any widow, 
a fatherless child. If you do mistreat them and they cry out to me, I will surely hear their cry. And my wrath will burn and I will kill you with the sword and your wives shall become widows and your children fatherless. Care, care for the widow, care for the orphan. If you don't, I'll hear that and you will become that yourself. Strong words in, in Deuteronomy, which is given to the people after 40 years wandering in the desert, they're about to go into the promised land again. God's reiterating, this is the kind of people you are to be. This is what you are to be about. Deuteronomy 10, 17 and 18, it says this, For the Lord your God is God of gods, and the Lord of lords, the great, the mighty, and the awesome God, who is not partial and takes no bribe. He executes justice for the fatherless and the widow, and loves the sojourner, giving him food and clothing. And just even you think about how does he provide food and clothing in Deuteronomy 14, 28 to 29. I just want you to see this. At the end of every three years, you shall bring out of the tithe. So that's like as they had produce come in, they were to put apart like a tenth of it. And every three years, you shall bring out all the tithe of your produce in the same year and lay it up within your towns. And the Levite because he has no portion or inheritance with you, and the sojourner, the immigrant, the fatherless, and the widow who are within your town shall come and eat and be filled, that the Lord your God may bless you in all the work of your hands that you do. God's like, hey, if you want to be honoring to me, you've got to care for the widow, and care for the orphan, and care for the, the sojourner, the immigrant, the people who can't care for themselves. God's like, this is actually honoring to me. You know the story of Ruth and Naomi. There's, there's Psalms. There's so many scriptures I could take you to. Just one more. Isaiah. Isaiah chapter 1. So this is what the people of God were called to. The thing is they often disobeyed. And so there would be a rebuke from the, from the prophets over and over again of what they're not doing for the widow and for the orphan. Isaiah 1 17. This is God telling them what they should do. Learn to do good. Seek justice. Correct oppression. Bring justice to the fatherless. Fatherless. Plead the widow's cause. In verse 23, though, the rebuke of what they were doing, this is what they should have been doing, what they were doing, though. In Isaiah 1 23, your princes are rebels and companions of thieves. Everyone loves a bribe and runs after gifts. They do not bring justice to the fatherless fatherless, and the widow's cause does not come to them. Over and over again in the prophets, God's like, I'm going to bring judgment upon you. You're not following my laws, and part of that is you're not caring for the widows. So that this is a quick overview of the Old Testament. You see God's heart is for the hurting, the broken, the oppressed, and widows were often in that situation. Just Then just a few like scriptures from the New Testament. I just want to put before you, I already referenced one in Acts Chapter 6, verses 1 to 6, the early church has kind of just begun. The Lord is saving many people that are coming together. In Acts chapter 6, we read this. Now in these days, when the disciples were increasing in number, a complaint by the Hellenists, that's Greek-speaking Jews, arose against the Hebrews because their widows were being neglected in the daily distribution. Already they were looking after widows, but some widows weren't being looked after. And what did that, that lead to? Uh, the twelve summoned the full number of disciples and said, It's not right. We should give up preaching the word of God to serve tables. 
The apostles like, we have a ministry, but we see this need that must be met. Therefore, brothers, pick out from among you seven men of good repute, full of the spirit and of wisdom, whom we will appoint to this duty. And so they did. And they, they, they dealt with that situation. It was so important. Precursor to the role of deacons. What we see here. But the widows were going to be looked after. Another scripture, I don't know if you're aware of it, James 1, 27. James doesn't pull any punches. He just tells you as it is. James 1, 27 says this. Religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this. To visit orphans and widows in their affliction and to keep oneself unstained from the world. Like just over and over and over again. And just one more place I want to take you to. I find this quite interesting. John uh, chapter 19. John chapter 19. Jesus on the cross and John's gospel. In, in my study, I, I didn't realize this before. So Jesus, hanging on the cross, had two conversations. He had two conversations. This is one of them. The other was with the other thief, the thief on the cross. Jesus hanging on the cross, where's his heart? His heart is for the lost. Like that's, that's amazing. Two conversations. One of them is to someone who's hanging on the cross that he would know him. He puts his faith and trust in him. The other conversation we have here, verse 26, John 19, 26. When Jesus saw his mother... And the disciple whom he loved standing nearby, he said to his mother, Woman, behold your son. Therefore we assume like Joseph, Jesus' dad is not in the picture. He has passed. Mary's on her own. This is what he's doing. Then, verse 27, Then he said to the disciple, Behold your mother. From that hour the disciple took her to his home. Think about that. So Jesus on the cross, he's talking to a lost person. That's a conversation. Other conversation with his mom, who is a widow, making sure she's looked after. Talk about God's heart for the widow. Is it any wonder that Paul wants to make sure that the widows are looked after properly in the church? So, in highlighting that, honor widows who are truly widows, care for them, provide for them. But first, look at verse 4, care starts with the family. But if a widow, verse 4, 1 Timothy 5 verse 4, but if a widow has children or grandchildren, let them first learn to show godliness to their own household and to make some return to their parents. For this is pleasing in the sight of God. Get that? If a, if a widow has children or grandchildren, if there's other family who can look after the widow, they should do that. And what does it say? Let them first learn to show godliness. This is go so godliness is like living for the Lord. Our faith expressed on day-to-day -day living. Godliness. And one of the ways we do that is by caring for family members. I, I find that so interesting. Godliness, we know, lived out is first in the home. Lived out first by providing for the widow's physical well-being, their care, their protection. What does it say? Let them first learn to show godliness to their own household and to make some return to their parents. To make some return. So anyone with kids or children, anyone with parents, 
We need to make some return to our parents. There's, there's a level of responsibility that has been given to us that Paul's calling to account. And being responsible, so of course parents looking out for children, but as the, as the parents get older, then one passes away, but then the, the children, or even the grandchildren, if they're in a place, look out for grandparents. That's, that's godliness acted out. This is, what does it say? It says, this is pleasing in the sight of God. I want you to see that. This is pleasing in the sight of God. We've, we've said this, we've seen this before in this letter in 1 Timothy 2, 3. And talking about if you live a peaceful and quiet and godly life, dignified in every way, that's good and pleasing in the sight of God. That's why we want to pray for our government. In, in 1 Timothy 2, 1 to, 1 to 2, so that we would have opportunities to provide for our family in a peaceful and live a peaceful and quiet life. That is pleasing in the sight of God. It's also pleasing in the sight of God to look after widows if they're in your family. Look after hurting family members. That's honoring to the Lord. Ephesians 5 10 says, Try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. Like, try and figure out what is pleasing to the Lord, and then you want to do it. Like the Puritans of years gone by, centuries ago, they would search the scriptures and see, what does God love? And when we see what God loves, we want to run towards it. And they see, well, what does God hate? When we see what God hates, we want to turn from it. So just quite simply, you're like, okay, I see in scripture, God loves truth. So I want to be about the truth. God hates lies. So I want to turn from lies. God loves us when we give thanks. So I, I want to like exhaust on my lips thanksgiving to the Lord. Learn to show godliness, he says. Earlier on in the letter, he already talked about train yourself for godliness. We talked about that. Like seek to grow in the Lord. Use the spiritual disciplines. Read your Bible. Pray. And part of those showing godliness, caring for your family. You know that old, that old song, read, I'm not going to sing it, read your Bible, pray every day, and take care of your family. <laughs> That's, we should add that on and teach our children. I just, I'm, I'm, I'm like amazed as I'm reading this, I'm like, how, well, this is showing godliness. Taking care of parents and grandparents. First off, widows, caring for and honoring those who are widowed. Those who can do it, it's pleasing to God. You know, we know one of the Ten Commandments, the fifth one, honor your father and mother. Paul's like, hey, can anyone do that? If this person's all alone, is there anyone, children, grandchildren, who can do that? That's pleasing in the sight of God. Caring for our own families is not the government's job. First off, it should be kept within the family if you can. As we're going to see, if they can't do that, then the church should step in and help. For some who, who maybe you're hearing this this morning, a clear application of this text is finding a way to look after loved ones. Maybe someone's coming to mind, you're like, yeah, they're on their own. They're not able to make it. And maybe it's corresponding with other family members pooling resources and be like, how can we help this person? How can we take care of them? That's where it first needs to happen. Or maybe you're in a place where you can help them yourselves. 
But widows are first to be cared for by their family. If the family is able, they should do it. It is pleasing to God. But what if no family is available? Did you support all widows? Paul provides greater detail, like I said, in the following verses, 9 to 16. In the next two, he kind of creates these two broad categories of widows. Kind of like, who do you support? He creates this contrast. Verse 5, we see the godly widow. Verse 6, we see the godless widow. Because like, verse 3, honor widows who are truly widows. Well, who are widows? Verse 5, she who is truly a widow, notice these three things, left all alone, has set her hope on God, and continues in supplications and prayers night and day. This is truly a widow. Left all alone, has no one else to turn to, no family to help her. She had support from her husband. It's now gone. She's alone. But not hopeless. She hopes in God. Right? Maybe she's praised. Maybe she knows the Lord's Prayer. And she's praying, Lord, give me this day my daily bread. But if you think, if all she has to go to is God for her daily need, she's actually in a good place. Because God will hear that prayer. And He will provide. To put your trust in the one who holds the universe together by his power. To hope in the one whose eye is on the sparrow. And he looks after the birds of the field. So how much more is he going to look after us? Or look after a widow in her distress? She's all alone, but she hopes in God. But she carries on. She continues in supplications and prayers day and night. The term supplications... It's like a specific, urgent need that's brought before God. Not sometimes it's just, Lord, bless. But like specifically, Lord, help me with this thing right here. It's a supplication. I'm taking it before God. The widow is crying out to God with her needs. Supplications and prayers. Prayers is just kind of a broad term of, of prayer. It could be worship. could be confession. could be requests. And how often, when is she doing it? Continues in supplications and prayers night and day. Night and day. One commentator points out night and day is a Jewish idiomatic expression. Just means constantly or all the time. But we see actually, so Paul, throughout his letters, he talks about praying for churches, praying for people night and day. One example, 1 Thessalonians 3, 9-10. It says this, for what thanksgiving can we return to God for you, for all the joy that we feel for your sake before our God, as we pray more, most earnestly, night and day, that we may see your face, see you face to face, apply what is lacking in your faith. He says later on in that letter, pray continually. Pray night and day. Pray as, as much as you can. And then there's an example, I don't know if you remember, in Luke's Gospel, in Luke 2.37, as, as Jesus, as, a, as a, a baby, is presented before the temple. And Simeon sees him and rejoices. And then we introduced to this widow, Luke 2.37, this widow named Anna. And she's been a widow until she was 84. She did not depart from the temple. See this? She's a widow. She's hoping in God. She did not depart from the temple. Worshiping with fasting and prayer, night and day. 
Like Anna's like the personification of the widow that he's talking about. What does Anna do? And coming up at that very hour, she began to give thanks to God and speak to him, speak of him. That's Jesus. Speak of him to all who are waiting for the redemption of Jerusalem. This amazing picture of this widow who's just fasting and praying and hoping in God. And she's there when Jesus comes to the temple. And she starts kind of proclaiming that. So Anna is this picture of the widow. But as we look at the, the godly widow, friends, I want you to see this. Other than being all alone, this is an example to follow. To hope in God, continue on with prayer and supplication. Where is your hope? Where do you hope? We can hope, I've, I've talked about it a number of times, we can hope in experiences. I don't know about you, every time I, I hope in an experience, it always it goes way different than I thought it would. Like just a, a few weeks ago, we went to Camor. We had a book, we're going to go cross-country skiing. And we just get to Camor, and then there's places everywhere. Where are the best tracks? It snows so much. You're like, snowing's good. Cross-country skiing, not as much, because they have to track it. <laughs> and so we got to Camor, and it's like, we really couldn't go almost anywhere. <laughs> it still turned out good. But if I was hoping in that experience, it did not go according to plan. We can hope in people. Have you ever been let down? <laughs> you can hope in finances. Will we ever have enough? We can hope in ourselves. I'm not going to hope in myself. I would just say, young people, I don't know, have you learned the lesson? Don't hope in yourself. I think you just, you reach a certain point, you're like, I'm not going to do that again. Where do we hope? Well, you hope in God. God will never disappoint that hope. He is the living God. Right? Like, God's not going to fail us. He knows every hair on our head. He knows the end from the beginning. He goes before us, behind us. I'm going to hope in God. But in order to have that hope, in order to nurture that trust, it must be through continued prayer. Night and day. And I don't, maybe you're like, I don't know, I'm not praying night and day. Start somewhere. Start praying at night or start praying during the day. Take your request to the Lord. Man, just in, in a given week, what comes up? You're like, I don't know how to deal with this. You take that for the Lord in prayer. Something comes up again, you're like rejoicing. Thank God for what He has. Praise the Lord. As life continues on, if you're a Christian, then at some point you need to confess your sins before the Lord. If you think, if you, I don't know how, many, how long you go before you confess your sins again to God. And if you go like days, that's amazing on you. <laughs> but maybe be more sensitive to, as we sin, day and night, taking our, our, our confessions before the Lord. So I, I pray that we can grow in that, following the example of the godly widow. But in a way to start, to join with other believers to do just that. Like, you know, it's like, I'm stumbling to like, figure this out myself, so get together with other believers to start to do that. To hope in God and go before Him in prayers and supplication. Again, that's what we're doing on, on Tuesday night. Bible Bible Chapel, 7.30. We're going to go hope in God and bring our prayers and supplications to Him. And as you do it with a group, it starts to get easier doing it on your own. So the godly widow, though, is the one 
but you want to support. But then there's contrast with verse 6, the godless widow. So there's verse 5 again, she who is truly a widow, the godly widow, left all alone, has set her hope on God. Continues in supplications and prayers night and day. But look at this, verse 6. But she who is self-indulgent is dead even while she lives. She who is self-indulgent is dead even while she lives. Robert Yarbrough says this, the widow of verse 5 thinks of little but the Lord. The godless widow of verse 6 seeks fulfillment in earthly plenty. She's self-indulgent. She lives for pleasure, excessive comfort or luxury. And you, you know, the church doesn't want to support this widow who is just so focused upon herself. Self-consumption. Self-indulgence. The other time this term is used is in James 5.5. 5, it's negative there. As Paul starts talking about the widows in 1 Timothy 5.13, talks about if they're supporting young widows, maybe who are so, so self-absorbed. Besides that, they learn to be idlers, going about from house to house. Not only idlers, but also gossips and busybodies, saying what they should not. Just focus in upon themselves. Is it any one of their church would not want to support a widow who is so self-indulgent? It's all about me. I think the, the prodigal son in Luke 15 is an example of this. If you've heard this parable, just, just to, to begin at Luke 15, starts in verse 11. There was a man who had two sons, and the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of property that is coming to me. Right? Getting his inheritance. He divided his property between them. Not many days later, the younger son gathered all he had and took a journey into a far country, and there he squandered his property in reckless living, in, in self-indulgence, like just focus on himself, partying up, living it up. It's all about me. Friends, I, I want you to see this as a warning here this morning in verse 6. She who is self-indulgent is dead even while she lives. Jesus, in another parable, the parable of the sower, talking about uh, someone who had shared God's word. That's what the parable is about. The seed scattered on the ground. But that was meant to represent God's word. And there was three negative outcomes and one good one. Of the third one that was negative, it says this. Jesus, in explaining this parable, the parable of the sower, as for what fell among the thorns on the ground, there are those who hear, hear God's word, but as they go on their way, they are choked by the cares and riches and pleasures of life. And their fruit does not mature. Someone who's self-indulgent. And that's not like a Christian who's struggling to make fruit in his life. That's, that's someone who's not a Christian. And this self-indulgence is keeping them from, from actually having God's word do an effect in their life. Think about this, self-indulgence. Is this not the message of our world? To be focused on ourselves? Go and get mine? I hear there's no I in team, but there's an I in win. Like what has increased in the past few years? Streaming services. Watch what you want when you want. Food delivery services. Eat what you want when you want. We are called consumers. 
Every commercial is that you would consume, that it would affect you. Never commercials ever. It's like, look what you could do for other people. It's like, look what this does for you. We are so self-indulgent. It's part of the flesh. Look at this again, verse 6. But she who is self-indulgent is dead even while she lives. Some can be living it up. Playing the part, wearing the part. An example of success on the outside, but dead on the inside. I just wonder, is there anyone here who hears that today and and like, yes, this is me. Is the Holy Spirit pressing this on you? Do you know that you're on the outside, you look like you have it all together, but on the inside, you're dead. If you're hearing this today and this is, this is you, I would encourage you to repent and turn to God. Hope in Christ. And then, Lord, Lord, forgive me for just being all about myself. Forgive me for being so self-focused. Be one to just consume everything for me. And then turning and trusting in Jesus who died for your sins. That one specifically. Among many others. He'll forgive you. And he'll change you. Hope in Christ. I just I was arrested by this verse this week. She who is self-indulgent is dead even while she lives. What a shame that how many people are going around looking at the appearance of life, even in church, but are dead. But run to Christ. I think even just going back to the parable of the prodigal son who went away and wasted his money on loose living was self-indulgent, so focused on himself. But I love at some point, it's like, wait a second. I can return to the Father. And he does. I love it. In, in Luke 15, verse 20, and he arose and came to his father while he was still a long way off. His father saw him and felt compassion and ran and embraced him and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Bring quickly the best robe and put on him, and put it on him, and put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet, and bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let us even celebrate. Listen to this. For my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is, and is found. And so even if, if that would be you, you're like, even though I live, I know I'm dead. Run to Christ and find life. And he will give that to you. So in in verses 5 to 6 there in Timothy, of course, support the the godly widow, the one who's focused on God. Don't support the ungodly widow, the godless widow who's focused on self. Continuing on in verse 7, Paul says, Command these things as well, so they may be without reproach. I see this, God cares about our actions too. Command what? Command those who have family and can take care of widows within their family. Verse 4, verse 8. Command these things to them. Let them know. This is interesting. Command these things as well. This is part of instruction, Paul's letter to Timothy. We saw in 4 verse 11, command and teach these things. Teach people how to have sound doctrine, how to grow in godliness. We saw this already in in 3.14. 
I hope to come to you soon. I'm writing these things to you about church leadership, how the church should be organized. I just like, often we're like, yes, doctrine. And rightly so. We want to preach and tell the truth. But Timothy, Paul says, Timothy, command these things as well. This is important. We should know about these relationships. That we should be about doctrine and relationships. Both are important. Like really, are family relationships this important? Again, think of the call of an elder, call of a deacon. One woman, wife, manages household well. Again, read your Bible prayer every day. You'll grow, grow, grow. And take care of your family. Like this is, a, this is an important part. Command these things as well so that they may be without reproach, that no one be able to put blame on them. Have something stick. What a strong witness that is. You're like, yes, I, I follow Jesus. And because of that, I want to take care of my family and those around me. In verse 8, this section that we'll finish with, there's a strong warning. Verse 8, but if anyone does not provide for his relatives, and especially for members of his household, he has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. It's kind of a summary statement of verses 3 to 6. If anyone does not provide for his relatives, especially for a member of his own household, he has this denied the faith. As in, even an unbeliever can care for those around them, those in their house. But friends, it is a contradiction, an oxymoron for a Christ follower to shrink from this responsibility. It's like warm ice cream. Right? Like, it just doesn't make sense. That's why there's such a strong rebuke here. Even in verse 16, Paul finishes the section with, If any believing woman has relatives who are widows, let her care for them. Let the church not be burdened, so that it may care for those who are truly widows. I want you to see here, though, too, we can deny our faith with our actions just as much as if we were teaching a false gospel. If you're teaching something that's false, we're like, okay, that's, that's totally untrue. I, I can see that. I can hear that. But if we're, if we're being called to do this, care for our own family members, and we don't, we're denying the faith. What a strong warning here. What a strong warning. But friends, I want us to look at that again. And see a hidden encouragement. But if anyone does not provide for his relatives, especially for the members of his household, he has denied the faith. But if you flip it, what if it's true? But if anyone does provide for his relatives, and especially for the members of his own household, like that's, that's uplifting the faith. That's honoring to the Lord. I just want you to see that here. It's interesting to stress on family relations and caring for those around us, caring for widows. But even so, it talks about members of your own household. Like that is good and pleasing to the Lord. Friends, I want you to hear this this morning. Especially men who are made providing for their homes. I want you to hear this this morning. Caring for your own household, whatever your work is, is pleasing and honoring to God. Your work is providing for your family, meeting their needs. It's pleasing to God. Like whether you love your job or not, you do it to provide for your household, that is good. 
I think that's a lie that you have to love what you do. If you do, like that's great. But if you don't, if you're providing for your household and those around you, that's pleasing to God and that's a good thing. That's upholding the faith. I want us to see that here this morning. So we look at, thinking about relationships within the church this morning. Relationships within the church. Jesus, when he's asked about like, what are the greatest commandments, he said, what, that you need to love God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. That's our, our first relationship. If we don't get right, loving God, the next one, love your neighbor as yourself. You can't love your neighbor as yourself, relationships in here, if you don't have a proper love for God. And we don't have a proper love for God because sin, sin is in the way. That's why we need Jesus Christ to be made right with God so we can love God with all our heart, our mind, our soul, and strength. And if as we're doing that, trusting in Jesus, God help us to love each other. God help us with the relationships that we have. Love our neighbor as ourselves. So in our relationships within our church, if I want to honor God and I want to grow closer to Him, read my Bible and pray, and care for my family. And there's other people within my family who I can help, like that is going to be honoring to the Lord. That's loving my neighbor. This is part of the fruit of our relationship with Jesus Christ. But friends, I just want to put before you, you already know the reality is we don't do it perfectly. All of us. So we need God's help. We need to rely on Jesus, putting faith in Him, in order to live for Jesus, by strength from Him. So in, in all of this, as we stumble along, we're like, man, my faith and trust is in Jesus Christ, so I can love God properly. And if I want to love my neighbor as myself, relationships within the church, my eyes are still fixed on Jesus. And he must be the one doing it through me. So I pray we would be able to walk it out with our, our eyes fixed on Christ. If you'll pray with me, I'd like to close this word in prayer. Oh Lord, I pray that you would take uh, this word preached and that which is from you, you would seal in our hearts. I pray that which is, is from me may it fall to the side. I pray you would help us by your grace to love those in our immediate family. Give us eyes to see if there's anyone uh, who we know within our even extended family who's on their own, who needs, who needs help that we can meet. I pray you would help us grow in our interaction, our relationship with one another in the church through the strength that Jesus Christ alone gives. God, we, we know how we're called to love each other, and we can't do it on our own. So I pray you would help us, and help us continue to fix our eyes on you. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.